Galatians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So, Father, we're thankful for your word, and we're thankful for the this reality that you are coming soon, Lord. In light of that, let us be found doing the very things, Lord, that you did as you walked this earth that you called us to follow. Lord, we pray you'd help us now, Lord. I pray the Holy Spirit would. Lord, allow this message to bear fruit in this church in abounding ways. Lord, please be with us now and help may Jesus Christ be magnified and glorified and ask it in His name and for His sake. Amen. So yeah, verse 2 is kind of one of those standalone verses in Scripture. Uh, sure, it has a context in which it comes to us, and we'll talk about that briefly. But this is one of those uh, Christianity 101 verses. Uh, this verse reveals the heart of Christianity. What happens when God invades a soul and fashions them to be more like Himself? In the midst of a culture that's very very self-centered, very individualistic, very much detached, and indifferent to the burdens of others, the church certainly needs to be reminded of what God expects her to be concerned with and be preoccupied with. The devil, no doubt, is ever working to turn God's people away with what's most important. And he certainly was doing that in Galatia. Uh, The context here in Galatia is one of discord created by this divisive conceit and envy. We find there in verse 26 of chapter 5, the conceit on the part of those who saw themselves to be more superior than others by you know, their faithfulness, their faithful law-keeping, their holier-than-thou attitude, causing them to despise and think less of those who weren't quite measuring up to the standards they were holding to. And of course, this produces this can produce envy on the part of those feeling inferior, because they didn't seem to, they don't seem to measure up to these apparent somebodies or or something, as Paul calls them here in verse three. Uh, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. These folks were deceived in their arrogance and their pursuit for more fullness by way of mosaic law observance forsaking the transforming power of the Spirit who gave them life. And all it created was this contentious spirit. uh, This competition amongst each other. Just basically this me versus you mentality. Which is completely carnal. Causing them actually to return to the bondage from which they'd been freed from it. So Paul writes there in in chapter 5, verse 13, brothers, you, you were called to freedom. You're called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Some of you are boasting of spiritual superiority, and yet ironically your conduct resembles more a pack of pit bulls than it does the Lord Jesus Christ. As he expresses there in verse 15, it's biting and devouring. And this is the context in which Paul is speaking. Flesh life. It's an individual self-seeking life, which is a recipe for constant conflict. Whereas life in the Spirit is an others-minded kind of life. Thinking of others. Which is a recipe for peace and unity. Because when you have a collection of people who are indwelt by the same Spirit, and they're yielded to that Spirit, it produces a like-mindedness. It produces an others-mindedness that yields these fruits we've gone through in chapter 5. 
And after speaking on the Spirit's fruit, Paul starts to introduce ways in which Spirit-led living should demonstrate itself within the body. Starting in chapter 6, verse 1, we we looked at this last time, this this verse essentially urges us to, to help one another in the struggle against sin. Especially when a brother or sister in Christ has been caught by or overcome by a sin. You see, even though, even though sin, sin has its, its power has been broken, that is true. The Bible teaches that. It doesn't mean its lingering influence is removed from our lives. And you know that if you're a Christian. We, we still have to deal with this thing, brother. We still have to encounter this flesh that wars against our own soul. And it means we need something stronger than ourselves to conquer it, as we heard in the first hour, to overcome it. To be an overcomer of sin, we need something greater than ourselves to do that. Or we will be prone to our own weakness and give place to it. We will not properly handle the temptations that assault us and rise up within us. That's always danger. And that experience grow as a Christian, that, that experience of growing in this battle, of growing in our understanding of our own weaknesses, of growing in, in recognizing Satan and his devices and schemes, of growing in our understanding of Christ and His powerful grace that enables us to overcome sin, growing in these should equip us to help other Christians when they reach a moment of failure in their lives and get caught by sin, as it were. And again, the you who are spiritual there in verse 1, it does not mean you who know better or you who would never fall into any kind of sin that could cause you to be caught or overcome. No, that would be completely contrary to the, to the arrogance and pride that Paul is addressing in this context. Brethren, we're all vulnerable here. All of us. And knowing that should produce a, a humility that enables us to gently deal with others. You who are spiritual, it's referring to simply those who are indwelt by the Spirit. So then, then Paul moves from this specific church life situation in verse 1 to a more, far more general imperative here in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul takes this thing further, doesn't he? And not only are we to be taken up with a brother or sister's sin problem, Paul states, generally speaking, we're to be those who are actively engaged in bearing one another's burdens. Period. Whatever those burdens are. Paul Paul lists no specifics here. And he makes this thing just a wide open general statement. Bear one another's burdens. And I don't think it's you know, a great mystery here, a great deal of mystery or confusion as to what Paul means when he says bear one another's burdens. The word burden, it means a weight, a, a load, a, a heaviness that's hard to bear. And the word bear means to take up, to support, to, to get up under and carry. Bearing or carrying another's load. There is an underlying assumption being made in this statement by Paul. In fact, a number of them. First, the assumption here is every one of us have burdens to bear, right? We do. And secondly, having such, God intends for us to to bear the burdens of others. But but thirdly, what's required in order for you to bear somebody else's burden? Yeah, we have to know about them, don't we? In order for burdens to be borne by others, of necessity, they need to be made known. So, So there's an implication here that we are to share burdens with one another. Now, yes, there are exceptions. Some burdens don't necessarily need to be verbalized in the form of a request. And obviously, not every burden is intended to be shared with others. But but clearly implicit in the text is God's expectation for us not to be bearing all of our burdens alone. 
I mean, the text clearly communicates to us that it is God's will for each and every member of the church to be a burden sharer and a burden bearer. You know, some of you, some of you get weighed down by trying to discern God's will in your life. What would God be having me do? And let me assure you, this is not something you have to wonder about. This is not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of giftedness. It's not a matter of, of personal inclination or personality type. You might be so, some neurotic uh, uh, introvert or some, you know, well-established, you know, emotionally strong extrovert. It, it doesn't make a difference. P- personality, this transcends what type of person you are. This text tells us it's God's will for all Christians to bear one another's burdens. And we are to do so because doing so fulfills the law of Christ, Paul says. Now, we spent a great deal of time in this series um, explaining that we're not under the law, the Mosaic law that is, and, and why we're not under it. And today we're finally going to talk about the law we are under. At least what Paul refers to here is as the law of Christ. I mean, where does he get this? Jesus didn't speak any kind of law of Christ. And when you consider that, you consider this whole letter as an effort made by Paul to free these churches from the burden of bearing law and underscoring that God's new covenant people are spirit led people, not Moses led people. I mean, as polarizing as the subject of the law had become in Galatia, you would expect to find Paul using different terminology here, but he doesn't. He speaks of fulfilling this, this law of Christ. And he does this for at least two reasons that stand out to me. Number one, to, rec- to emphasize that New Covenant people are not a lawless people. They're not. We're not. It's, but secondly, to emphasize they're a people of Christ. Christ is the one who rules within them. Christ is the one who governs over their lives as their Lord and Master. It is interesting. You'll get all manner of answers as to what the law of Christ is and what it means. I mean, it's the moral law. It's it's the Ten Commandments plus Jesus. It's it's Jesus' teachings. It's it's all the commandments that Jesus gave. It's and some folks. It just seems like they they can't break away from looking for a list. It seems apparent to me that Paul is coining a phrase perhaps even with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, saying, you want to follow law? Follow this law, Christ. Follow Christ. And really, we don't need to go looking for a definition because Paul sort of defines it for us in the text, doesn't he? I mean, if bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ, then bearing one another's burdens is very much descriptive of what the law of Christ is all about. And the law of Christ is all about love. More specifically, loving others. This language of law fulfillment certainly is intended to point us back to chapter 5, verse 14, where Paul says that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, even though he uses seven words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ because loving your neighbor as yourself fulfills the law. Therefore, bearing one another's burdens is loving your neighbor. See, Jesus' kingdom is all about love. Oh, people don't like that. (laughs) But that's true. It's the overriding principle that's to govern the lives of His people. And it's a love you can't produce on your own. It requires Christ. But, but this, this bears out in Paul's other use of the phrase, the, the law of Christ. Paul uses this one other time. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians 9, we'll look at that. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul sets forth what he's willing to forgo for the sake of the Gospel and to what extent he's willing to serve others to see that... Uh, to become actually a means in their life to, to save them. 
verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might be that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul makes a very clear distinction here between the law, the Mosaic law, and this law of Christ that he mentions again. They're, they're clearly not the same thing. And again, I think the context bears out or, or defines Paul's use of this phrase, law of Christ. Paul's conduct, what is he saying here? What is he teaching us? Paul's conduct is ruled by the gospel. That's what he's sharing. Contextually, the law of Christ here would be verse 19, becoming, all, becoming a servant to all. And verse 22, becoming all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So, so in Galatians, it's used in conjunction with bearing people's burdens. But here in this letter, it is doing whatever is necessary to get a hearing with people that, that, that would permit Paul the opportunity to, to, to declare and set forth the word of life. Paul also uses this expression, the, the law of faith, and the law of the spirit of life. They're not really laws, they're principles. In fact, the principle Paul sets forth in, in, in Romans chapter 8, calling it the law of the spirit of life, is the principle of walking according to the spirit in contrast to walking according to the flesh. Paul says, walking according to the, to the spirit fulfills what the Mosaic law never could. James, in, in similar fashion, uses this phrase, the royal law. And, and what is the royal law according to James? To love your neighbor as yourself. And he also uses the phrase, the law of liberty. He uses that twice, referring to the gospel. So you have a number of these different phrases that are directed to very law-entrenched people, pointing them to spirit-led living, sacrificial gospel efforts, and bearing one another's burdens. And how can they all be summarized? Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's it. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the law, if you will. For the new covenant. It's a law or a principle of loving people. And we're not talking about some undefined love here. We're not, we're not talking about some carnal flesh defined love, that's for sure. This is no hippie love or no modern, modern age love. The call for new covenant believers is for each member of Christ's body to be actively seeking ways to love one another in Christ, for Christ, and as Christ particularly that last one. I mean, what is the overarching new covenant commandment that Jesus gives His disciples? I heard love. Does anybody know the, know the verse? John 13.34 He actually calls it to the disciples' attention. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. And, and, and when Jesus says, just as I have loved you, that's what makes the new commandment new. Jesus sets Himself forward as the example to imitate the pattern to follow, the love to emulate. 
And so when Paul speaks of the law of Christ, and you can turn back to Galatians 6, when, when Paul speaks of the law of Christ, it, it's certainly inclusive of Jesus' person. Jesus' example, the life that He lived. Paul, Paul's not talking about some, some revised version of, of Old Covenant law or, or some specific list of rules that believers should now behold. Rather, it's Christ. Christ is the one that we're to behold. He's the pattern which we're to pattern our lives after. We're called to trust Him and do the very same things that He did by His grace. I actually think Brian Borgman gives the best definition of the law of Christ I've ever heard. He says it's Christ-like conduct by the power of the Holy Spirit motivated by love. That's how we're to live our Christian lives. That's what really distinguishes us as being Christians. You know, there's probably nothing that more resembles Christ-likeness than that those who follow Him bear the burdens of others. Because that's exactly the very thing that Jesus did when He lived His life here on the earth. Actually, that's the, that's the very thing Jesus did when He was dying. He bore the burden of your sin, brother. He, he bore the burden of your sin, sister. And as burden bearers, you actually, you actually live your life out like that, bearing the burdens of others. You are becoming more and more like Jesus as you do that. Because that's precisely what He did. And as you do that, yes, you're likely going to upset the law sticklers and the legalists just like Jesus did. Bearing does come with a cost. You do have to die to self. There's not a lot of glory in it, bearing the burdens of others. Jesus' burden bearing required crucifixion. He stooped so low to get up under your burden and to carry your burden, brethren. Not just he didn't just give some time here and some energy there and, and you know, gave a helping hand. He gave all of himself. There's no greater burden bearing than that right there. Jesus bore our sin, he bore our curse, he bore our sorrow, he bore all our guilt and shame. So, brethren, it is only our reasonable service to him that we bear each other's burdens. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. How do we know that's true? I mean, how does that manifest itself? Well, one of the ways is by you becoming a burden bearer just like Jesus. And there are, brethren, there are plenty of burdens to go around. I was thinking about existing and recent burdens in the church here. You know, and many of them are fairly common, um, somewhat constant. Some of them can rotate from person to person or family to family. And I mean, besides the massive burden of your own sin and perhaps the the sin of others against you, some can be burdened with constant illness, health problems. How about the burden of employment or the lack thereof? The burden of losing your job or securing a job. There's the burden of unwanted singleness. That's real. That's a real burden to bear. There's the burden of aging and all that that encompasses. How about the burden of a difficult or unfulfilling marriage? Or the burden of a a cheating spouse? Or or the burden of a lost spouse? The burden of lost children who have absolutely no desire whatsoever to follow Christ? Or or sick children? Or, Or children who are disabled? 
Or children that have problems at school. How about the burden of infertility? The burden of unwanted homosexual thoughts or desires. The burden of bereavement and all that that loss brings with it. The burden of looking after a spouse that's that's not doing well. The burden of caring for elderly parents or relatives or, or, or facing an untimely death. The burden of a broken home and how that affects you and continues to. The burden of, of depression in yourself or, or those near you. The burden of ministry and spiritual responsibility when there's a sense there's so many burdens and there's not enough bearers for them. The burden of a big decision. The burden of a great trial you're going through. Just burdens galore. Burden with sorrow. Burden with responsibilities. Burden over souls. Burden over financial issues and loss or need. and Just innumerable burdens. Innumerable cares of this world. Burdens that we bear can be countless. And it seems we no more unload one and we get another one, right? And oftentimes it can seem like, seem like we're on, unloading more burdens than we're offloading them. And I'm convinced this is by divine design. So that this reality of bearing one another's burdens can, act, can be an actual reality, can come to fruition within the church body. See, God doesn't intend for you, Christian, to bear every burden you have alone. He doesn't. He's given you brothers and sisters to bear those burdens with you. Yes. And of course, the Lord is our ultimate burden bearer. I mean, He is the one who lightens our load as we roll our burdens upon Him. He is the one who promises to sustain us when we cast our burdens upon Him. But, but isn't it interesting that He calls us to join Him in this business of bearing burdens? And in fact, I, I, I think we don't, we don't want to necessarily think in terms of those having to be two different things. I mean, the God we serve, we heard it earlier, He's a God that utilizes human means to accomplish His divine purposes. And so, using brothers and sisters to get up under our load and aid us in, 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 with our burden is actually a means of God taking on your burden for you. I think we need to see it that way. Oh, brother, I wonder how, how many blessings of God do we miss out on? Because we just simply don't utilize the means God's provided us for the purposes of our own spiritual good. But the Lord's provided us brothers and sisters put them in your life to aid you in bearing your burdens. And so we want to be careful. We want to be careful with our burdens. We don't want to treat them lightly. We don't want to resist them. We don't want to complain about them. We don't want to despise them. We don't want to ignore them. We don't want to forsake them. We're called by the living God to bear them. And do so bearing this fruit here in chapter 5. So may the Lord let us be those who who make it our aim and our effort to detect and seek to discern in the body the burdens of others and do what we can to, to make their load lighter. What does it mean to bear one another's burdens? It means to get, get involved in one another's lives. To the extent that, that everyone is able to have their burdens shared throughout the church, wherein they're not just bearing it alone. And as the burdens are shared throughout the church, some of the weight is lifted to it's a lighter load for everybody individually. But that requires engagement of the body, you see. To call yourself a Christian and to remain isolated from Christ's body you're actually denying the very purpose for which Jesus died. 
I don't know if you've ever seen it that way before. But I have you think about that. He, he didn't die just to take away your sin. He, he died you to bring into union with Himself. And that union with Himself also includes His body. If you seek a Christianity that suggests, well, I believe, I, I love God, I, you know, Jesus is my Savior, but you live a life isolated from His body, I would have you think about the image that Scripture gives us of Christ and His people. He is the head and they are the body. The body is the church. That signifies a complete Christ. There's no, there's no headless or head-only Christianity. Not in Scripture. We don't find that. I mean, what kind of Savior do you have if He's just all head and no body? That's not the image Scripture provides us. Scripture presents a complete image of head and body, and that head being Him and that body being the church, His people. So we don't want to be severing that image because that's the image God gave us. It's the bride and the bridegroom together. Now, granted, I mean, each one of us, I mean, we're limited in what we can bear, right? But if each and every one of us in the church make it a point to start bearing the burdens of a few, then the burdens that exist throughout the whole church would end up being shared, and therefore, like I said, the overall load lightened. This really was one of the designs of grace groups. The sharing and bearing of one another's burdens. And if you're a member in this church and you're not actively engaged or integrated into one of the grace groups, you're actually missing out on an opportunity to both be a burden sharer and a burden bearer. And both are very important. And you know what? I was thinking about this yesterday. There might be a burden you're bearing that would have been long ago removed, but you... you You've retained it instead of shared it. Could be. I mean, the the context here suggests that pride is the sin that prevents both from happening. Verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. The four that begins the verse indicates it's an explanatory clause, a further comment attached to what Paul just finished saying. You see the connection? If I think myself to be superior to others, then I'm not going to be one who bothers with anyone else's burden. I got my own problems. You take care of your own baggage. That's pride. Or I don't need anyone else bearing my burdens. I can bear them. I can handle them on my own. You see, there can be a pride that suggests you don't need to bear. And there can be a pride that suggests you don't need to share. In both cases, are built upon a false idea of spirituality. You thinking you're so spiritual, you can't stoop down to anyone who you esteem to be beneath you. Or you think yourself to be so spiritual you don't need help from other people. You think the request for help to bear your burden is an indication of some kind of weakness on your part. That's pride. This is certainly linked to the conceit of 5.26. There was a pride present that suggested, I've arrived, spiritually speaking. And no doubt, rooted in their religious law-keeping. Their law-observance. Their performance. But you know what? Paul may also have in view here the temptation that he warns of at the, at the end of verse 1. The temptation of prideful thoughts and attitudes that could result from helping, from helping others. You know, I, I helped this brother over here. I, mean, I, I helped, helped recover him or her from, from their, their, their being caught in sin. I helped them and that brother and that brother and that sister. I, I helped them with their load. I help bear their burden. Starting to become, starting to think you're becoming something. You see, if we don't properly understand ourselves in the light of gospel truth, we can easily start thinking more of ourselves than we ought. We can easily start thinking that we're something when the truth of the matter is we're nothing. I mean, here's what the Bible has to say regarding self-esteem. Jesus says, without me, 
You can do nothing. That's pretty sobering. Paul comes along and says, oh, matter of fact, you are nothing. I mean, that doesn't have a whole lot. There's not a whole lot there to boast of, is there? That's a proper esteem of self. I, I am nothing and can do nothing without Jesus Christ. Which is 180 degrees opposite of our current day UBU, which is full of the inflation of self-ego. Well, Paul continues in verse 4. He says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Paul, what sayest thou? <laughs> what on earth is Paul saying here? I mean, he's warned us against conceit and pride, and now, now we have him mentioning reason to, have, to boast in oneself? What? You know, down in verse, if you look down in verse 14, he states quite dogmatically, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of Christ. So, so what's with this, this self-boasting talk here? Well, we know this about the Apostle Paul. He, he never contradicts himself. Paul, Paul seems to be providing a remedy against failure in bearing one another's burdens. Let each one test his own work, he says. In other words, instead of comparing yourselves amongst yourselves, that is, measuring your spirituality by others, instead of doing that, examine yourself before God. And see to it that you're actually fulfilling what He's called you to do. Test your own obedience. Test your own life before God in this manner of burden bearing. And if you pass the test, if you identify a measure of obedience to this command here, and this reality in your life is something that you're growing in, then you'll have reason to boast. However, that boasting will not be in yourself. That boasting will be in God for the grace He's given you to be obedient and faithful to what He calls you to do. See, there is a wrong boasting and yet there is a right boasting. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, it is because of Him you are in Christ Jesus and follows with verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Self-assessment is proper. And when you do so, it should it should lead to a humble recognition of your own failures. But, but, if, but if you're walking in the Spirit, it should also lead to a humble and grateful recognition of God's grace in your life, enabling you to walk in obedience in a manner that's pleasing to Him. When, when our life's work gets laid on that great foundation of judgment and gets tested by God's fire, that's the imagery of 1 Corinthians 3. Whatever's left standing, whatever survives the fire, you will find great cause for boasting. However, it will not be in you. It'll be in the Lord. That won't be in you for sure. And it won't be you taking credit for, for someone else. Perhaps someone else that you were instrumental in helping in this life. All boasting will be aimed at the Lord Himself, whose grace was proved to be wonderfully sufficient for you in every single situation in your life. Look down at verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Little window into what was going on. Look at me, Lord. I convinced 40 people to get circumcised. Aren't I holy? I'm something. There'll be none of that in glory. None of this, oh Lord, I had, you know, Ten hands raised in Sunday school, or I, I brought this X amount of people to Christ, and look at all my spiritual accolades. None of that in glory. All glory, any crown if it's given will be cast at his feet. Verse 5 For each must bear his own load. Like I said, Paul's not speaking in contradictions here. Bear one another's burdens, verse 2. Verse 5. Bear your own burden. <laughs> Actually, I think this verse flows quite naturally from what Paul is saying in verse 4. 
One is going to be responsible for their own work, their own load, and not that of another person. On the day of judgment, you're going to be held accountable and you'll have to answer for your own conduct, not the conduct of somebody else. Even though I'm called upon by the Lord to bear the burdens of others, I'm not ultimately being held responsible for their response to my help. My help of their burden. On that last day, everyone must give an account for their own load, as it were. The responsibilities that God has put into our own personal care is given to our, for our own stewardship. God holds us responsible. Responsible to help people when presented with the opportunity to do so. But He doesn't hold us responsible for whether or not the people we end up helping actually respond the way that they should. And so when you seek to restore someone, help someone with their burden, and your help is with the right spirit and a spirit of gentleness, you're seeking to do good, you're providing, trying, to, trying to provide good biblical counsel, and yet the response ends up being a rejection of you and your counsel, you, don't, you know what's, you know what's going to happen? You're going to bear the load for how you attempted to lovingly pull them out of their pit of sin and rescue them from their dark night. And they're going to bear their own load for having been on the receiving end of Christ's attempt to lovingly rescue them through His people and they refusing it. That falls on them, not you. Even though the likelihood in that scenario will be you'll get called everything but helpful, uh, at least on this side of glory. But brethren, when, when that happens, you know what? Something special happens. You actually enter into the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. The same thing happened to Him. He went about doing good and He was called evil. He went about doing good and He was lied about. He went about doing good and He, he faced all kinds of disapproval and false accusations. So, brother, we can't allow that. Whatever the case, we can't allow potentially negative responses to help other people with their burdens to keep us from obeying our Lord and Master and seeking people's good despite them not seeking their own good. That's true of children, right? We just let children do whatever they want. I mean, we got a mess on our hands. But we know what's good for our children, so we go after them and we point them in that good direction. Love bears all things. Scripture says, including undesirable burdens of others. This is what it means to love people. To love one another. Love's not some nebulous feeling that just has no course of action. To love is to bear with people. And to bear up under their burdens and their trials and their difficulties and their heartaches. So in wrapping up, I mean, there are... There are some great examples here of burden bearers. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for seeing that in the church. Yesterday I was thinking, we were traveling back from Nepal. Clayton and I were in Dubai in the airport there. We noticed this woman. We were in one of those shuttle buses and this woman was just overwhelmed. I mean, she had like a two or three-year-old daughter in her hand. She had carry-on, two large luggage. I don't even know how she got to where she got, but she had a hard time getting off the bus. And it's like, she, it, was, it was obvious she needed some help. And, uh, you know, just overwhelmed trying to grab her stuff. And so we, we grabbed it and we, we told her we would help her and we offered to carry her luggage and help her with her load, as it were. And uh, we did that throughout the airport. She was very grateful and um, it turns out she happened to be on the flight, the same flight we were on in Kathmandu from Paul, and she's living in Houston with her with her husband. Well, we had a, we had a six or seven hour layover, and uh, she provided a great opportunity for sharing the gospel and uh, helping her out. Definitely gave us her ear, and she was you know very much a Hindu, but open to listen. And uh, after sharing the gospel with her, you know I strongly encourage her to visit Vodi's church there and. In Houston, well, she sent me a message on WhatsApp uh, a couple weeks back. Let me know she's moving to Dallas, and uh, turns out she's about twenty-five minutes from the Medinas, and not far from their church. And she told me, you know, she wants to meet new friends, a new area. She doesn't know anybody, so so I un- unleashed Nadelka on her, <laughs> 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 and they're actually supposed to meet up for coffee. 
And so that's something to pray for. But, but thinking upon that yesterday, that meeting was made possible simply because we just, we just literally helped somebody with some, we just helped someone with their load. It may result in her salvation. But, but I share that just to demonstrate how something very little, brethren, can lead to something that could significantly help people. Even lead to a wide open door for the gospel. Brethren, we, we don't need to be spiritual giants to be useful or helpful in the kingdom of God. In fact, you know one of the ways you can be most you can most help bear people's burdens by just simply being there for them. Being a listening ear. By be, becoming just someone to unload on, a, a shoulder to cry on. I don't know who said it, but somebody said a problem shared is a problem halved, cut in half. Oftentimes, the opportunity to just share ends up being a tremendous help on its own to people. But, but hospitality is another. Having people over is a huge avenue of burden sharing and burden bearing in the church. You, you, you dedicate some time to a burdened down brother or sister. That can be a great means of lightening their load. Just your simple presence and making time for them a priority can, can, have, can make a significant difference in people's lives. Prayer, I mean, I mentioned it. Prayer is a huge avenue of bearing one another's burdens. You, you, brother, you don't have to solve something to help people, to, 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 to lighten their load in order to be useful in someone's life. The devil would like to convince you you, you do. Brother, brother we're, we're faced with so many unsolvable issues. I know I am. And I know this about you, and I know this about me, and I know this about he and her. We're unsolvable. <laughs> we are. The most effective burden bearing isn't by those who are the greatest puzzle solvers or know the most information. In fact, those who, those who are the best burden bearers are the ones who best communicate they actually care. And forget about factoring in comfort zone. Yep. Everybody's uncomfortable. The aim of burden, burden bearing is not so you can feel comfortable. Or even competent. Feel competent. Our aim is to actually lighten the burdened one's burden. Lighten that load. To be more like Jesus is to be in the business of bearing one another's burdens. Life in the Spirit is a life of living like the Lord Jesus. So I ask, are we looking to bear the burdens of others ourselves? Are we sitting back and pointing fingers at those who we perceive are not? When's the last time you prayed, Lord, Lord, I, I please, I pray you give me an opportunity, give me the privilege of helping bear somebody else's burden in the church. I mean, this is what we're commanded to do. I think it ought to be a prayer, maybe. I mean, this passage serves as a great barometer of our own Christian lives, whether or not we're really walking by the Spirit. Let's face it, your flesh, my flesh, wants nothing to do with bearing other people's burdens. Doesn't. Making judgments about them? Oh, right, right in line with the flesh. Oh, right up the flesh's alley. Gossiping about them? Absolutely. But bearing burdens? Ugh. That requires the gracious work of the Spirit. It does. I'm convinced of this. If, 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 if you, Christian, make it a point to pray daily, asking God to help you so fulfill this law of Christ here, and that's an earnest desire of yours. And maybe even out of confession, Lord, I, I confess, I haven't, I haven't been thinking in this vein. I, I've been very much consumed about my own life and my own problems and my own responsibilities. And Lord, I, did, I just haven't been others-minded. I mean, that's, that's, that should be a confession if it's true. 
Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me be like Jesus. Help me actually consider Him and, and do as He did. And, and as much as Your grace will allow me to do it. Now, I'm thinking if you make that a prayer throughout the month of June, I'm absolutely, thoroughly, 100% convinced God's going to arrange such providence in your life, you're going to have ample opportunities to bear other people's burdens. You You will. And those of you who are actively engaged in doing so now, I mean, we can always use the encouragement of continuing on, right? <laughs> Brothers, sisters, don't grow weary. We're getting there. We're getting to verse 9. <laughs> and we, we all need growth in this area of our lives. We all need our bearing to be more like Jesus with greater joy, with greater consistency, with greater compassion, with greater faith, with greater faithfulness. Bill Withers. He released a song. You know Bill Withers? Some of you old-timers going like this. <laughs> he released a song in 1972 called Lean on Me. I'm sure most of you know it. It's widely known. It's been resung many times. It's not Scripture, but it certainly resonates with a lot of biblical truth. He says this. It goes like this. Lean on Me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. You can call on Me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. Are you someone to lean on? I want to I close with a quote from John Stott. I think it's a good summary of these verses, this section, verse 26 through 5. He says this if a, if a man is my brother, then I am his keeper. I'm to care for him in love and be concerned for his welfare. I'm neither to assert my fancied superiority over him or provoke him or resent his superiority over me and envy him. I am to love him and to serve him. If he's heavy laden, I am to bear his burdens. If he falls into sin, I am to restore him in that gently. It is to such practical Christian living, brotherly care, and service that walking by the Spirit will lead us. And it is by such too that the law of Christ is fulfilled. Father, I pray You would indeed help us be bearers of one another's burdens, and so fulfill this law of Christ. Lord, help us to emulate the Lord Jesus more in our lives. I pray this would be a growing reality in this church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.